My name is Ryan. I make music under the name Sleeping at Last, and today is a really exciting day around here because it is the official release date of my brand new song, Five. And I am just so excited to share it with you guys. So we'll, we'll listen to it in just a few minutes here, and I will take the whole thing apart and explain everything from the instrumentation to the production to the, uh, the meaning behind the lyrics. And I can't wait. Let's, uh, let's jump right into it. Oh, and if you are unfamiliar with the Enneagram or are just kind of tuning in now into this podcast, um, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the episode about my Type 1 song, and that will give you a little bit of um, context for what the Enneagram is, as well as why I chose to write these these nine songs inspired by the, the nine types. So today is all about the Enneagram Type 5. So if you are dominant in Type 5, I, I so hope that everything in this podcast and in this song uh, not only honors you, but celebrates you. You are really intricate and incredible. Per the, the tradition of these, these Enneagram song podcasts, um, I am delighted to be joined by my dear friend, Chris Hewerts. Chris is a, an amazing teacher and uh, has written a, a, the most beautiful book on the Enneagram that there is. It's called The Sacred Enneagram. If you haven't already purchased it, I cannot encourage you enough to go check it out because it really will add so much to the vocabulary of the Enneagram uh, if you are already familiar with it. And it's just a really wonderful place to start too if you have a, a little bit of a curiosity about this whole thing. So Chris, how are you doing, man? Thanks so much for being a part of this. Doing great, Ryan. Once again, I'm grateful to be included in this. I uh, I, I really do think this. I, I really do think that what you're you're doing with these songs and these podcasts are, are going to end up being one of the great modern contributions to the teaching of the Enneagram. So this as a collected body of work is really invaluable to, to the tradition. Wow, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. I, I will give you your 50 bucks next time I see you for uh, for saying such such kind words. Um, so, Chris, if you wouldn't mind, we'd love to hear an overview of who exactly these these brilliant cerebral Enneagram type fives are. Sure. So I'm actually really excited about this one because type two, type five and type eight are all part of the same group in the harmony triads. And this is a, a group that that sort of relates to the world through how they connect with the world and, and, and really in, in some of the ways through their relationships. And so twos, eights, and fives end up sort of finding their way to one another. And I'm fortunate because I have a lot of really great friends in my life who are dominant type five, really amazing, amazing luminaries who've, who've helped me, who've shown me so much and who've, who've, who've really loved me so well. So this is, this is um, a real gift to have a conversation about one of my favorite types of the Enneagram. So the, the typical names that you'll hear ascribed to the social function or the social roles or, or the, how the, the fives position themselves in the world are, are either the observer or the investigator. And uh, I, I actually like um, one of the names that, that translated from the Spanish is, is called the theorist. But type five as, as the observer or the investigator sort of is getting at the um, real root of, of where the five sort of stores their energy, and, and that is really in their mind. Fives are, are, are incredibly cerebral. They're, they're, they're just way up in their head. And, and so as we're going around the, the, the Enneagram clockwise with these songs, this is the first of the head center types that we come across. This is the first 
of the thinking types, right? And the head center is the, the faculties of the mind that really are, are, are given over to this energy of forecasting, right? So we'll see this with type five, type six, type seven, that type five is, is really trying to get to the bottom of everything and, and, and try to finding, they're looking for the answers, they're looking for the essence. They're looking for um, what's behind what we all see and, and and how can they get there? Well, they get there through through analyzing, through researching, through, through, through interrogating every bit of information that they can wrap their brains around. When we get to, to type six, we'll see that they're really forecasting or threat forecasting for what can go wrong. And then when we get to type seven, you'll see that they're really forecasting um, or sort of looking for the ability to keep options and opportunities open because folks who are dominant type seven are really driven towards living into the gift of their freedom. All right. So we'll start here at the head center with type five. And like I said, as, as, as the first of the, of the thinking types and, and really the, 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 the type there that's at the bottom of the Enneagram right there on the edge of that existential hole, this is the, the maybe most withdrawn of, of the head center types. This is what is often referred to as, as one of the detached social styles, right? When we look at the, the, the basics of the Enneagram type five, when we look at the, the character structure components of the type, we see that their holy idea, right? Their mental clarity is transparency, just seeing through and beyond, looking into what is, and that their virtue traditionally was, was referred to as detachment. But I'm going to say that the, the, the traditional language may be sort of tweaked a little bit to non-attachment, that really the, the open-handedness of the five is their, their generosity. The open-handedness of the five is, is their social gift. It's everything that they discover and uncover when it's given away, when it's, when it's held loosely, when it's offered back to us is, is, is what we see as, as, as the, the benevolence of, of folks who are dominant type five. Now, the basic desire for somebody of type five is, is just to have, um, competence and, and, and being capable of getting to the bottom of everything. It's really this drive to understand. And this comes from this basic fear, right? Each of the Enneagram types are, 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 are trying to mask this fear, trying to cope with the pain of this fear. And so the fear of the five is of, of, of not having the answers, of being incapable or incompetent, of, of uncovering the essence or the knowledge there. So this leads to a passion and a fixation, right? And the passion for the five, unfortunately, is called avarice. And avarice is a, a, a word that we use for, for greed. And I, and I think fives get a bad rap here because generally I, I would say that fives aren't greedy people. I would say that what we, we see in, in fives is, is a withholding. It's a retention. And, and so we see that as, as a, an expression of greed. But, but this retention... Or, or this withholding is really them sort of self-protecting their energy so that they can get to the hard work of investigation, of analysis. And, and, and this isn't greedy because, like I said, at, at their best, they bring this forward. They gift this forward. They, they offer this as, as, as a way of loving the people that they care for in their lives. Now, the fixation for the five then is, and this is also really unfortunate, it's, it's stinginess. And, and, I, and I don't think that that's actually fair. I, I think we have to um, use better language. And, and so I think what the stinginess is, is really the mental calculations of a five saying, I, I have to self-protect. I have to sort of withdraw. I have to reserve this amount of my energy so that I can give myself over to the hard work of 
mental exploration. So one of the gifts of the of the five here is is they're really trying to sort of bring certainty to the things that 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 really only the five is aware of that may be uncertain. Um, you know, they're they're a true source of, of wisdom in the world. They're they're a true source of, of mental clarity. The thing about the fives that we love is that they come across as is really simple, but man, they're, they're, they're maybe the most complex of the Enneagram types, even in what is perceived to be their minimalism. And their minimalism is, is, is really that virtue of, of non-attachment. It's not being possessed by the things that they hold. And so you'll sort of see this about folks who are dominant type five, that a lot of them come across as, as real utilitarian, right? They just, they don't need a lot. They don't have to have or hold on to a lot. And the and the utilitarianness of the five is is really their 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 very sensible practicalities, right? They have this incredible ability for objective analysis, and so they're really really great friends to have when you're trying to make a decision, when you're trying to figure out, hey, what what computer should I get? What car should I buy? Where should I I go to school? Uh, you you ask them, you task them, you you give them a problem to solve, and and and, and wow, watch out, they will get to the bottom of it. Now this leads to one of their great stressors and, and, and a great stressor for the five is to actually have deadlines and timelines because, you know, the fives can get lost in, in their mental pursuits, but they also realize that if there is a deadline to research that then there's still so much more to learn and, and, and that bums them out. They're, they're often mistaken as incredibly withholding, but the, this gets back to sort of their their innate inner wisdom to self-protect, to sort of restrain so that they don't leak their energy in the areas where it's going to be underused or underappreciated or wasted. And so this leads to also one of the things that can be really great for folks who are dominant type five is, is, is the, their ability to, to really honor and hold boundaries. Now, that sometimes is their downfall, that they can be too boundary, that they can be too sort of withdrawn and, 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 and reserved. And and so we have to sort of sometimes pull them out of that, but we have to also honor that because that allows for them to, to, to give themselves over and to turn themselves over to, to the real beauty of their the reflective work. Fives are incredibly dedicated. And, and honestly, I, I think they, they are some of the most faithful friends that you'll ever have. Again, though, they're, they're really calculated about this. And, and so you'll notice this with, with folks who are dominant type five, or, or if you are dominant type five, you may really only choose two or three or, or four people really over the course of your life that you will give yourself to in friendship and in relationship. You'll, you'll be really thoughtful about the, the who they are and you'll, and you'll really make, I think, sensible decisions in, in who's chosen and who's picked. But once you are picked by a five, they will stick with you. They they will make themselves available to you. They'll they'll they'll, they'll care for you in, in only the ways that they can. Now, if you're in a relationship with somebody who's also dominant type five, you you have to honor that because they do have a, a need for for privacy, and that privacy sort of gives them permission to sort of stay in their in their head. When this leads them to sort of the a closed off stance, though. Um, those of you who are in relationships with folks who are dominant type five need to find really engaging ways to invite them sort of back into the, the social reality of, uh, of the relationships they've committed to, right? Fives are mentally consumed with theory, with analysis, with research. They, they, they love questions and uh, they can, can really retreat or hide out in what my, my friend who's dominant type five, Seth Haynes, calls his, his mind castle. Um, 
and that self-sufficiency and living in that mind castle, this, this incredibly, you know, intentionally constructed sort of place to retreat into um, becomes, becomes really where, where they find their safety and their security. Now, what's often misunderstood is, is that because fives are so cerebral, because fives are so much in their head, that they're disconnected from their hearts. But you know this if you're dominant type five, that you're right there across the existential hole, the Enneagram is your four wing. And, and so fives can actually be really or incredibly sensitive. They, they feel the vulnerability of their pain and, and they feel it so deeply that it almost like a pendulum throws them across that, that gap there at the bottom of the Enneagram further up into their mind. And so that emotional detachment can actually become one of their coping mechanisms. That emotional detachment actually becomes one of the ways that they protect themselves from feeling the intensity of their pain. What they they also do with their pain is they overthink it. They they, they try to understand it without feeling it, right? And and, and so fives can be incredible uh, therapists or counselors, right? Because this is one of the things that's that's so endearing about the five is, is they're keen observers, of human behavior, right? They try to figure out the why uh, of people. And so this can sometimes come across awkward socially. And so that's one of the reasons and sometimes they they also detach or withdraw socially. Now, because they're way up there in their heads and they don't often give of themselves. And, and look, this is bummer because it's typically caricatured as introversion. And yes, a lot of fives happen to be introverted, but not all fives are. Um, because that passion of avarice is 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 really sort of a holding back and 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 a, and a really sort of holding in, when a five does show up and and when they engage in conversation, when they engage in relationships, I, I sort of joke around that it's like they speak in paragraph form because they figured out what they were going to say and when it's ready to be shared, you gotta give it to them. You you can't interrupt them. You you, you sometimes have to be patient with them. And if you do interrupt them. They're going to come back and they're going to finish that paragraph at one point or another. And, and this is where they sometimes may look or, or come across as socially awkward. Uh, fives are lifelong learners and, 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 and they will really, really seek to understand anything. So, so if you're dominant type five, you might not even really want to be listening to this podcast because even though fives love to learn, they don't need teachers. They, they, they sometimes, in fact, don't even want teachers because teachers slow them down. Fives can get in front of the computer and, and and find out what it is that they want to understand. They will get at it and they will find it faster than anyone. So, Chris, you and I had talked before and you had mentioned that uh, some of the great teachers of the Enneagram identify as as type fives. Uh, Claudio Naranjo, as well as Russ Hudson from from the Enneagram Institute. But I'm curious because I've noticed a little bit of a theme with the, the at least the fives that I've come across in my world. Um, and, and that is that there's a there's a little bit of a lack of interest in the Enneagram as a whole or maybe like a, a reluctance. Is that something that you've come across at all? Yes, that's that. That's so funny. I mean, that's that's really common in 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 most of the Enneagram workshops that I interact with fives during. There is a, a, a suspicion here, and that's because this teaching, this tradition, sort of ha- doesn't have scientific case studies behind it to prove it. Um, now, secondly, that's I, I think part of that also comes from the the six wing, right? There's natural skepticism, and, and you see this skepticism in type fives, especially when they relate to something like the Enneagram. Now, this will, will, will be one of the reasons that, that folks who are dominant type five frequently miss type. 
and 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 part of that is is a resisting to being typed because of that skepticism. Part of that is a resistance to this not being a scientific tradition or teaching. Um, but but this is also because, you know, fives though they don't often experience themselves in relationship to others, um, they understand themselves because they overthink their own feelings. They also understand us, and and, and they understand non fives. And so this is one of the ways that they try to make connections with people is through understanding people. And so as a five begins to understand the people that they care for, as a five begins to understand the people in their life, what ends up happening for a five who, who's trying to type or find their Enneagram type is, is that they understand aspects of all the nine types. And, and, and with that skepticism wing over there, um, or with that heart point, which is, is type eight, right, this need to be against. Um, they'll they'll often often find it difficult to um, finally land at type five, and and that's you know that shows us something else that that's typical of fives, which is this this need for time and and, and how fives relate to time. They they sometimes need more time than the rest of us to get to something, to arrive somewhere, to to land somewhere, and, and that's because they're 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 flipping it over in, in their head. They're 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 looking at it from every angle. They're 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 getting clarity on it, and 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 when they make a decision, if it's a decision to sort of accept, yes, I'm I'm probably dominant type five or, or whatever it might be, they're they're almost always right. And so I also sort of hate to say this, especially if your your partner's a, a five, but they almost are always right about what it is that they've decided or figured out or or or, or sort of come to a conclusion on. What's endearing about fives and and you love this is 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 what sometimes is is frustrating if you don't understand the sort of why behind what drives them. But you know, you you have to understand that that fives they need to know what they're getting into and what they're committing to. And and so this is again what what looks like sort of a, a slowing down or or a needing of more time, but they have to sort of be prepared. They have to sort of know what the implications and consequences will be. Uh, and, and this shows up in, in, in the little corners of their life, like the, the obsession with checking the weather. You know, if, if, they're, if they're traveling, checking on their flight status way before they even get to the airport. They're, they're always sort of looking ahead to make sure that, that it's going to be okay. But, but see this, when it comes out in other ways and in, 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 in their larger relationships and the more sort of substantial aspects of their life, it's it's really another one of the gifts that they bring. When we talk about the childhood wounds of, of the Enneagram types, once again, we have to be really gentle here because I'm concerned that this childhood wound language is unhelpful. My sense is these, these may not have been real wounds or experiences of trauma, but this is really sort of our ego's confirmation bias to ourself of our, of our loss of connection with essence. And, and so we have to, to remember that as little kids, we, we didn't have the psychological construct to accurately perceive, internalize, and then re-narrate our reality. And, and so fives in particular have to be really gentle with their perceptions of what their childhood was, because as adults, they, they can really also overthink that. But for folks who are dominant type five, um, there's frequently this sort of experience of intrusion. And, and this intrusion was to them an experience of a violation on their, their privacy. Um, and, and, and it really caused them to, to withdraw in, into their minds, right? It's often explained around sort of a loss of their, their boundaries. And, 
and it had to do with sort of a, a loss of not knowing how to um, really experience and, and deal with their pain. And, and so as adults, this, this leads to suspicion, right? Because they look at sort of our attempts to love and nurture them as, as emotional distractions that they can't trust. And so for folks who are dominant type five, learning to trust again um, is, is part of healing that, that experience of that, that imperfect holding environment as, as, a, as a child. Now, this experience of intrusion, this experience of sort of violation, this experience of moving and crossed or, or, or overstepping boundaries, even a boundary that a little kid would have put up, was experienced in relationship to, to both the nurturing and the protective energy of, of their caregiver or, or caregiver's parent or parents. And, and so what happens is, as little kids, they, they reject that, that protective and, and nurturing energy, and, and they become pretty capable of self-protection and, and self-nurturing as adults. And, and this also is why it looks like they sort of drop into this isolated posture. Um, it's that they, they, they are self-sufficient, and that self-sufficiency is, is also part of how they're coping with this perception of that, that, that imperfect holding environment or that childhood wound, right? And so this is where you see fives misunderstood. And, and, and it's such a bummer for fives because they're, they're frequently misunderstood. Um, that, that continues some of that pain of intrusion and that, that need for them to withdraw. Huge thanks to Chris for, for all of that insight. I feel like all of these explanations of the types um, on these podcasts are, uh, they're like verbal maps. And uh, I can't thank Chris enough for, for taking time to share. We're, we're going to hear a bit more from Chris throughout the podcast, but let's, let's listen to the song. I am so excited to share this with you guys. And if you happen to identify as a type five, I just so hope that this song uh, bears some of your truth. And I hope that you feel celebrated and honored and, and most of all understood.
Gosh, I just had so much fun writing and recording this song. Uh, I love writing music, obviously. That's why I make so much music. But this song was entirely a labor of love from the beginning ideas through to the, the final production. I just really enjoyed exploring all the different layers and details that you hear kind of weaving in and out of the, the left and right ear. Uh, I can't remember who said it, but a friend of mine that identifies as a type five a long time ago explained his mind as being uh, almost like if you could imagine thousands of TV screens all playing something different at the same time. And But you get this image of this beautiful, uh, all these different colors and these flickering lights going on. And so I kind of use that uh, as the as the tonal theme for this song. It was really really fun. So let's let's begin by talking about some of the initial concepts that I had um, going into writing this this Type Five song. 
You may have noticed, but the front half of the song is all instrumental, and that is because I thought of any type, since fives are so cerebral and so um, beautifully in their in their own mind, I thought at least half of the song needs to be created almost as music to, to process by or to, to observe by, rather than having language on top. I wanted I wanted the, the fives to be able to have space to, to think and feel and have kind of their minds wander as they listen. So that is the intention of that front half in instrumental section. You may have also noticed that the length of this song is a little bit longer than the the previous Enneagram song so far. Obviously, it's a nod to the title and to the type. The final length is 5 minutes and 55 seconds exactly. And um, it was really fun to, uh, I always kind of like laying out these challenges, as I've said before, um, but I, I was assuming that it would be much more difficult for this song to fit exactly within five minutes and 55 seconds, that I would either have to cut out a part that I really liked or add a part that um, just felt like adding it for the sake of getting the correct length. And it just laid out and fit exactly within that time frame. And so this song is likely the longest of all of the nine songs at five minutes and 55 seconds. And even before I, I knew that I wanted it to be that exact length, I just knew that it needed to be the longest song. And the, the reason behind that was because fives value data. And so uh, a longer song equals more data and, and more information. And so the instrumentation, this was really fun um, to kind of imagine what the the type five might sound like in in terms of instrumentation. And so um, the the first rule was I wanted to use as many machines and synthesizers as as possible. So pretty much everything in this song uh, is is built with a machine of some sort. Um, I think the only organic instruments are my voice as well as some strings. In terms of like digital machines, um, I would say about 85% of this song is made up of, of synthesizers and, and, and samples and um, drum machines and stuff like that. So it was really fun to try to create like an organic sounding song uh, with instrumentation that is digital. And I, I just thought that that sort of ties into the, again, the, the fascination and the research and the um, attraction that fives have to, to information and data and, and processing. So that was sort of the fun rule for this song is um, every time I, I had an idea that I was going to try out on an instrument, I just thought, okay, is there a way that that idea can be conveyed through uh, a digital instrument? It led me to falling madly in love with a couple instruments that I've had for uh, like a half a decade now and just have not given uh, my my full attention to until until writing this song. Um, and it's from a company called Teenage Engineering, and they are, I believe, based in Sweden. And they make these absolutely stunning machines, which are equal parts instrument and just beautiful art. Uh, but you have to check them out. They're called Teenage Engineering, and um, they just make some really gorgeous instruments that are um, uh, synthesizer, sampler, drum machines, all sorts of really, really beautiful stuff that I've been having the most fun ever exploring uh, through this song. So one of the most challenging rules that I had was I was obsessed with learning more about like 5-8 timing or 5-4 or timing. Um, and so I love 4-4 four, four timing and I love 3-4 timing, um, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't write a whole lot in 5-4 uh, in, in, in or 5-8. Or and so um, this song felt like the perfect place to, uh, to try, my, um, try my hand at writing something in that. And, and so um, it, it's kind of odd where it, uh, the first portion of the song is is in 5-4 timing. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four. 
which is sort of a nod to the the four wing next to the five. But then also it is, uh, I like that the idea of five, eight timing points to the integration pattern. So uh, at fives in their, in their very healthiest sort of borrow some of the, the healthier qualities of the type eight. So anyway, it was a fun little Enneagram nod in the, in the time signatures. Uh, so you'll hear uh, several of the portions in the instrumental section are in that five, four timing. Um, and then it kind of switches to four, four. Um, and then eventually, I think before you even realize it, it's when the vocal kicks in, uh, you, you start to hear um, everything in four, four. I want to reach the Most of my songs have uh, a, a, like a living tempo, so they will sort of ebb and flow and slow down and speed up a little bit throughout the song. But for this one, I wanted to sort of represent like the levelness or the level-headedness of the of the type five. So it is a solid 111 BPM tempo song with uh, with no tempo surprises. And a softer, more more tonal rule throughout this song was uh, was just the word distance. I knew that the um, it needed to be very spacious wherever possible. So um, you'll hear quite a few reverbs uh, on on different instrumentation where it sounds like it's um, far away and um, again in like in this very spacious environment. I thought that that sort of uh, it gives the gives the impression or the the idea musically of of the the internal world of the five, which is this kind of this beautiful landscape of of thought and intentionality and information. So I wanted to to be able to kind of pull that that beautiful collage that is the 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 type five mind into a musical form, which to me sort of translated as this uh, this very spacious and and rich deep environment of music. And in relationship with that idea, I also knew that the production of this song needed to contain just layers and layers and layers of new sounds fluttering in and out of, uh, of, of the, the left and right ear. So you'll hear quite a bit of panning, which also kind of brings the, the music into this very like spacious environment. The very first sound that you hear in this song is actually this uh, this kind of pitched and processed sample of of some pianos that were in um, the Type Four song, and and the reason that I wanted to um, start there is because um, the as Chris has mentioned, there's this thing called the existential gap between the type five and the type four. If you look at the, the Enneagram symbol, you'll see at the very bottom, there's this the, the space that is not connected. And so um, I've read several times that the, it's, it's very difficult for the, for the head types, which is where the five belongs, um, to, to connect deeply to the, the heart. And so um, I, I thought it'd be kind of a fun way to transition from the four song to, uh, to kind of almost sample and reprocess the pianos from um, from type four to start this uh, this type five song, and so that sound is uh, is is through a granular synth it's called, and um, basically that is uh, chopping up a, a bit of this little piano line and splicing it together to kind of create this like this ambient bed, and I, I really love this sound. It kind of just swirls around and it sounds reverse and forward at the same time. 
And that sound kind of became the, the scaffolding of the whole song. Everything was built on top of it. Uh, I, I knew that this song needed to feature piano. I think I've mentioned in previous episodes, the piano is sort of my, my through line. It's the, it's the common thread between each of these nine Enneagram songs. And uh, it sort of represents humanity throughout each of the types. But um, going along with the theme of processing and machinery, I knew that the it couldn't just be straight piano. So I reversed the piano and wrote the piano in reverse. Uh, so then what I did was I reversed the file added reverb and then return the file to its original position and uh, so that the reverb is reverse. And so that's an example of a way that I was able to like digitally process an acoustic sound for for this type 5 song uh, to kind of fit in in the rules of uh, you know as many machines and synthesizers as possible to make up the the, the core of the song. So before I wrote a single note on this uh, Enneagram Type 5 song, I, I drew a map, and uh, which is a kind of an odd thing for me lately. Uh, I think I detailed it in the in the last podcast about my Type 4, where there was this, this hand-drawn image that I had in my head, and kind of became like the guiding visual for writing that, um, that Type 4 song. And so the same thing happened here with the Type 5 uh, before any actual chords were written. I just had this, uh, I guess you could call it like a blueprint of uh, all of the themes that we just talked about. Um, the the instrumental section being about half the song, the vocal coming in at that halfway point, the the instrumentation being digital as much as possible and synthesized as much as possible. All of these things were kind of contained in this image, and um, so I'm not really sure if this is like becoming a, a, an important or helpful part of my my writing process, or if it just happened to make sense for these two songs. But um, of the you know almost 200 songs I've ever written, I don't think I've ever had like a drawing that was sort of like the blueprint or the the map of of a song. So no idea, but it's, uh, it, it felt appropriate for this song and, and it served a lot of purpose because uh, it, it helped me keep track of these different rules and themes throughout. And it also gave me focus as I was writing the lyrics to kind of present this story, um, which we'll get into in a little bit. So it was really fun. And uh, I'll try to explain what that image is. Um, first, I should tell you that in my research of the type five, everybody kind of explains the the internal world of the five as almost like a castle where they're, they're sort of safely protected and insulated into this kind of grand space in their mind and um, so that castle image was just kind of burned into my mind so uh, on on the left side of this piece of paper you'll see a image of a, a terribly drawn castle <laughs> and then throughout the length of the song which is from left to right uh, I have these different notes that are sort of like at the halfway points that I imagine the character coming down from the castle and um, kind of interacting with the, the outside world and that's where the the vocal starts and then as the character kind of processes forward basically the the re- resolution is that the the five begins to welcome that outside world into their internal world so all the beautiful knowledge and uh, insight and expertise that the five contains uh, they are sharing it and, and are open-handed with with that uh, that beautiful information to others and of course, to echo what I've already said in in a couple of the previous episodes, these nine Enneagram songs are are meant to be um, these stories of redemption, these uh, stories of what I believe is uh, the healthiest version of each type. They they end up there, and uh, that is a form of letting go and a form of um, sort of becoming comfortable in your own skin. So um, for this one, it basically from left to right tells the story of redemption for for the type five. 
And as a total side note, uh, my my sweet daughter, Lily, who's a, a three and a half year old, she came down to my studio. I work from home and uh, she she saw this little this little map on my desk and she asked what, what it was. And I said, oh, I drew that. And she immediately thought that I drew it for her. And she was so excited. I think she thought it looked a little bit like Arendelle from Frozen. <laughs> so she thought I drew it for her and she kept thanking me and it was so sweet. And so I gave it to her and she now has it hanging on her door. Um, uh, with some scotch tape. So she did all of that by herself. And it was just, uh, it was one of my favorite memories that will always be attached to this song. It, it actually reminded me of probably how we make her feel when she draws us pictures where we're, you know, we, we try to um, encourage her and, and tell her how awesome she did. And so she did that to me and it, it, it kind of melted my heart. It was really sweet. So let's talk about the lyrics. Um, so the opening line is, I want to watch the universe expand. I want to watch the universe expand. That lyric means a few things to me. First of all, it is a nod to one of the one of the names that the Type Five gets, which is called the the Observer. And uh, if you do any amount of research into the Type Five, you will learn that the, the the Type Five is always learning and is always observing and is constantly pulling in information into their into their their collection. So I wanted to set up the the opening line as this this observation, kind of the the biggest observation we as human beings can kind of pull in, which is um, to observe our universe. And this definitely ties into the the beautiful artwork that you see as the cover of this song, which was painted by Alicia Edigento, uh, and it, it features this this beautiful owl and uh, and these two children that are that are looking through this telescope and uh, are literally observing the universe. And the next nod is to um, the the need of the Type Five, according to Father Richard Rohr, which is the the need to understand. And so that opening lyric is is literally the Type Five trying to wrap their heads around uh, the universe and how it works. I wanna watch the universe expand. I wanna break it into pieces. And after writing that opening set of lyrics, uh, I, I came across Helen Palmer's book, The Enneagram, Understanding Yourself and the Others in Your Life, where she says that fives report that their inner sense of isolation is relieved when they feel close to knowing how the universe works. Reading that helped me feel like I was uh, on the right track in, in hopefully articulating the, the brilliant mind that is the, the type five. As a lyrical side note, Chris mentioned earlier that type fives sort of think and speak in paragraph form, and I decided to write all of these lyrics out in, in a single paragraph. So if you look on the website or anywhere that you can find these lyrics, they should be in, in a single paragraph format. So that's just a, just a fun way to, uh, to, again, tie things into the type. And so rounding out the verse lyric that we just talked about, I want to put it all back together again in the quiet of my private collection. In the quiet of my private collection. So 
obviously the the put it all back together again lyric is a reference to the, the a type five kind of pulling things apart in their mind and reassembling them in order to understand how something works. Uh, but the next line, the in in the quiet of my private collection, that is a reference to a couple things. First of all, it is the the type five inhaling as much information and knowledge and research as humanly possible. So I wanted to touch on that in the song uh, and also honor the the kind of the privacy that is um, important to type fives. But in addition to that, I wanted to nod very, very subtly to the, the wing of a four. So the type four wing is is referenced in uh, the private collection in reference to art. Uh, as I mentioned in the, in the type four podcast, there's quite a bit of references to different mediums of art kind of uh, hidden throughout the lyrics of that type four song. So this was kind of my way of, of pulling in the art concept into, uh, into this type five song. The very next line. It feels like an out-of-body experience. I think I've mentioned, but as I'm writing each of these Enneagram-type songs, I'm doing quite a bit of research trying to really understand as best I can how each of these types think. And so um, as I was researching Type 5, I kept coming across um, different variations of the idea that the uh, the type fives sometimes get so lost in their thoughts and in their ideas that they feel almost separated from their body, like they're able to observe themselves interacting with other people or or even objectively observing themselves just going on uh, with the different routines of the day. So the, the direct out-of-body experience lyric uh, just felt like a, the right way to talk about that and also to kind of set it up first as you're not sure if it's a positive or a negative thing uh, because I feel like it actually probably feels that way for a type 5 that um, that experience can be probably preferred and a really positive thing uh, in, in having objective thought. And then on, on the flip side, it can probably be very isolating and a little bit lonely. And so um, that's how it sets up the, the very next lyric, which is, but something gets lost from a safe distance. Something gets lost from a safe distance. And I can put my mind to rest and I can't. So let's take a little break away from the lyrics and talk about the instrumentation and the music and the the type five band that I was able to assemble. And, and we'll go through each of the, uh, the type five fingerprints throughout. So I mentioned earlier the rule of recording on primarily machine or computer-based instruments, uh, which led to my, my, my love affair with, uh, with Teenage Engineering, who makes all these different synthesizers. And they have a line of uh, instruments called pocket operators. And they're these little tiny, they're probably about five inches tall and, and three inches wide. There's a few drum machines. There's just several lead sounds, bass sounds, all sorts of different little mini synthesizers. And I, of course, bought every single one of them because they just not only do they look beautiful, but they're just they're just really, really fun to play around with. So I thought it'd be really fun to try to incorporate in some small way every single one of those nine uh, pocket operators. I'm not going to single each one out because it'll take a little while, but um, I wanted to just at least show you guys a little sampling of uh, those sounds kind of scattered throughout this song. Those things are so, so fun. It was a joy to be able to weave these little sounds throughout the song. So uh, keep an ear out for them. They're they're kind of all over the place. That was sort of like a, a collage of them, but um, they weave in and out of the entire song. 
I was so honored to have a few of my dearest friends play on this song. Um, each of them identify as a type five, of course, which is the rule for any any guest on each of these Enneagram songs. So let's uh, let's talk about each of them. First up is my dear friend, Jeremy Larson, who is truly one of the most talented people I've ever met. He is a musician based in Nashville, Tennessee, and his his project is called Violence. And I absolutely love his music. It, it seriously is wonderful. So please check out Violence, V-I-O-L-E-N-T-S. So Jeremy and I have known each other for a very long time. He was a groomsman in my wedding, and um, he has toured with me numerous times, uh, and I just, I just love him. He's an amazing, amazing person. And if you've heard much of my music, you've probably already come across Jeremy's contributions to it. He played brass on my song Mercury. He played um, strings and brass on my song Uneven Odds. Uh, let me think. He played strings on my song Chandeliers, and so um, and, and I think several other songs as well. So when I began this Enneagram series, I was super pumped to get to the Type Five song because Jeremy identifies as a Type Five, and um, I knew that I wanted to invite him to play strings on this song. So that is what he did, and he did so beautifully. So all the strings that you hear on this song are played by Jeremy Larson. He's sort of like a a one-man, 100-piece orchestra. So at the very tail end of the main string melody, there's this kind of scattered violin uh, effect. Uh, it's almost this repeating melody that happens over and over. And um, Jeremy explained that it, as he was recording it, it sort of reminded him of how his brain works. And uh, so I thought that that was some really beautiful intentionality um, for him to, to not only recognize that, but to um, be able to translate that through the strings. So huge thanks to Jeremy for lending his incredible talent to this song. So next up in my guest type five band is my dear friend, Dan Perdue. Dan has been my best friend for, uh, I think, at least 20 years now. We have known each other for so long, and he has been on this adventure called Sleeping at Last as my bass player and keyboardist for many of the early years, and um, uh, he was the best man in my wedding, and I just love him. He's he's one of my favorite human beings on the planet Earth, and so anytime I get a chance to make music with Dan, I jump at the opportunity. Um, Dan identifies, of course, as a type five, and so I've just been super pumped to uh, get to this song so I can invite him to be a part. Uh, Dan also happens to be my absolute favorite bass player of all time. So the electric bass guitar that you hear throughout this song is played by Dan as well as a keyboard sound called Space Ghost that he created many years ago and it's um, just this really hauntingly beautiful sound that can be heard in a bunch of older Sleeping At Last songs so it was fun to, uh, to be able to welcome it back into the current fold of music. So a massive thanks to Dan for lending me his incredible talent for this song. Uh, it means always so much to me to get to make music with him. 
And the the week that I invited him to play on this song, uh, he, he and his wife actually welcomed their third son into the world. So I was uh, I was blown away that he would uh, carve out time to to still be a guest on this song. And the last guest in my Enneagram Type 5 band is my friend Jason Toth, who was kind enough to program many of the drums that you hear throughout the song. Um, Jason and I have actually known each other for a very long time, and even before we became friends, I had so looked up to his band as a teenager uh, called Waterworks. They were a band from around town that just were totally blowing my mind with everything they were doing musically and he was the drummer of that band and so later on we became friends and Jason was kind enough to play all of the drums on my storyboards album and we've also toured together several times Uh, so I love Jason and I'm so grateful that he was kind enough to to put his five energy into this song Um, Jason actually recently moved to France and so I believe all these drums were programmed in uh, a couple little cafes uh, as he was touring with a band called Handsome Family uh, throughout different parts of France. And so um, huge thanks to Jason. So let's talk about fingerprints. If you have no clue what I'm talking about, basically in each of these Enneagram songs, I have invited my my nearest and dearest, my family members, my friends, to record the sound of literally anything with their phone or any recording device. And then they send me these little tiny sound samples. And um, according to what type that person identifies as, I'm able to weave that little fingerprint into the the fabric of of the appropriate song. So um, it's been one of my absolute favorite parts of making these Enneagram songs to know that I have a piece of the people that I love the very most uh, hidden within each of these songs is truly, truly a treat for me. So for this Type 5 song, I thought it would be really fun, rather than just placing these fingerprint sounds uh, throughout, that I would actually process them all in a very specific way. Uh, since I, I mentioned earlier my love for Teenage Engineering, this brand that makes these keyboards, they have a, a keyboard called the OP1 that is a sampler, synthesizer, all sorts of different things. And I just love it. So I thought it'd be really, really fun that the rule for this uh, for this song in the fingerprints is to run every single fingerprint through the OP1 and place it in the song using that keyboard. So every sound you're about to hear was processed through the OP1. So the very first sound is going to be from a long time Sleeping At Last collaborator and my, my very good friend John Goodmanson. And John's actually responsible for mixing almost every Sleeping At Last song since 2006 when he mixed my, my Keep No Score record. So I've known John for a very long time and um, I love working with him. He's my trusted ears and one of the best engineers I've ever come across. And so I was really, really honored that not only did he send a fingerprint sound, but also um, John himself identifies as the type five and this song was of course mixed by him so i love that the the final mix was assembled by a, a type five so john's fingerprint sound was uh, a couple open notes on an acoustic guitar that belongs to his mom so i took that sample and processed it through my op1 keyboard and made a keyboard patch out of it and uh, wrote this melody The next sound is from my awesome friend Owen Shoger, who sent the sound of his car engine running, which I thought was the perfect mechanical emphasized sound for, for this Type 5. Uh, and I processed that through my OP1 and kind of created this uh, bizarre stereo effect, but it still very much sounds like a, a car engine revving. 
The next sound is from my dear friend, Mike Foster, who is an incredible author and sent the perfectly type five sound of him flipping through pages of a book. So I ran all of that through the OP1 and created kind of a mutated sound that I really liked. And the next sound represents my friend Melissa Weir, who loves the sound of typewriter, and uh, I am a typewriter collector and appreciator, so I offered to record the sound of typing her name. And then I ran that recording through the OP1 and sort of quantized it to the beat, so it's almost like this little lead-in drum fill made out of typewriter. And the next fingerprint is from one of my dearest friends, Tim Demitz, who actually does a ton of different design work for me. He designed the, the space vinyl, which is featuring his gorgeous illustrations and a, a ton of the images that I'm posting on Instagram and all those places to promote the, the various things that I have going on. So Tim is an incredibly gifted designer and I love working with him. And so I was excited to, uh, to have this fingerprint sound from him, which is the sound of typing. Uh, so I guess you could say it's the sound of doing research on your computer. And then I process that through the OP1 and now it sounds like this in the song. So the next fingerprint is from another one of my absolute favorite people and uh, one of my closest friends, Brian McDonald, who is uh, an absolutely amazing filmmaker. He's responsible for making the music video for my song Emphasis, as well as my Turning Page Live video and several of the uh, lyric videos that I've been putting out recently. And apparently brilliant minds do think alike because uh, Brian also sent the sound of typing, which I think is such a perfect sound. It really is the, the definitive type five sound. And here's what it sounds like in the song, processed through the OP1. The next fingerprint is from my friend and incredible photographer, Austin Mann. Uh, this is the sound of his camera shutter. And that is a Polaroid 600 SE camera. And so I processed that through the OP1 and kind of created a, a, a drum beat out of it that kind of layers underneath the, the program drums throughout the song. And next up is my family friend, Andrew Sandberg, who sent two sounds, uh, the sound of chalk on chalkboard and uh, the sound of a saw. He's a super talented carpenter who lives in Portland. The next sound is from another Andrew, and this is Andrew Pope, who I happen to have the great honor of calling my brother-in-law. He uh, sent the sound of his morning walk, which I totally love. So through the OP1, this is what the, the end result sounds like in the song. And it happens a couple times. And last but certainly not least is another Andrew. So not, not only do I absolutely love type fives, but apparently I love type fives that are named Andrew. <laughs> so this sound is from Andrew Bell, who is an incredible musician. You may have already heard of him. Um, he writes some really, really beautiful songs, but he sent a, uh, a little sample of a keyboard that is in his song TRNT.
And after processing it through the OP-1, this is what you hear in the song, which happens a, a few times throughout, and it sort of functions as this kind of bed or this layer underneath uh, some of the atmosphere tones. So thank you so much to my, my Type 5s for, for sending in those incredible sounds. It means the world to me to get to weave those into the fabric of this song. A tiny side note, uh, while I was recording the five, I bought this this drone that is called the Mavic Air from DJI, and I love this thing so much. Um, I feel like I've got a little bit of five energy in me, even though I identify as a type nine. And so I channeled my, my type fiveness uh, in kind of obsessing over this drone. And honestly, throughout the writing of it, I, I could not watch enough videos and reviews and read enough about this, this little drone that I ended up buying. And so I knew that just as a way to come commemorate that uh, the drone sound needed to somehow be in the song. So a little Easter egg is you'll hear hear this sound uh, once or twice in the song. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about the overall story and the, the overarching themes of this song. Uh, but before we do, I wanted to welcome back Chris, who's going to give a little bit more insight, but also encouragement and advice to uh, any of you that happen to identify as a type five. So if you're dominant in type five, um, some of the, the advice that I often offer my friends is that really part of your growth curve and, and part of you showing up is is you just being conscious of living in the present, that you can think your experiences through, that you can almost pre-live them in your mind. And um, when that happens, then you sometimes don't feel like you have to actually hold the experience for what it is. But man, if you can if you can truly live in the present, if if you can actually feel yourself in the present, you you actually begin to to nurture these meetings with your own being. And I think in nurturing these meetings with being and 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 feeling here now and and being with the person you're sitting across from, um, you'll find a, a new way of of, of feeling alive and, and being alive. For fives, I, I think one of the ways that you can confront the the passion of avarice, right? This this experience of, of, of needing to sort of retain energy and, and, and sort of hold on to your capacity to sort of engage the world is understanding um, that one of your greatest gifts actually is simplicity. And, and it's not that you're simple. Like I said, type fives are, are one of the most complex and complicated of the types. But understanding that simplicity isn't what you have, but how you hold it. And that if you actually can't give something away, then you don't possess it, but it possesses you. And, and so this notion of possession as you relate to answers, as you relate to time, as you relate to resources, it is really uh, an invitation to exploring what simplicity can look like. And, and when you actually live out of simplicity as a way of celebrating what it is that you've, you've, you've garnished and gathered for the people you love, that's really, again, you at, at your best. And that simplicity, that open-handedness is exactly what I was trying to get at with, uh, with the final lyrics of this song. I finally feel the universe expand It's hidden So I wanted the story to begin with distance and to end in intimacy. 
And what I mean by that is uh, the opening lyrics are, I want to watch the universe expand. Uh, th that lyric represents distance, uh, this intricate unknown. Uh, it, it's, it's far away. It's, it's literally the desire to somehow understand the farthest reaches of the universe. Uh, but the song ends in intimacy, in the known, in, in something simple as recognizing that the universe is actually expanding within each of us uh, through relationship, through connection, and um, our heartbeats and our breaths. So it really is like a macro to micro story, and, and that's the one I wanted to try to write here. Uh, but at its core, this story is about the type five connecting the dots between their head and their heart. So before we wrap things up, I'm going to welcome back Chris one more time, um, who is going to not only give advice and encouragement to to folks that are in relationship with with type fives, but also um, just some really beautiful words for type fives themselves. So um, here is Chris. You know, one of the the great gifts that you can can give a five is 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 reflecting back or marrying to them understanding, and understanding that they're not aloof, that they're not smug that that it's not that they don't really care about you or want to engage you but there is this sort of need for them to feel safe or invited out of that that mental space i i think what what's perceived as unassertive in the five is really a misconception right the the assertion and the drive of the assertion of the five is is really the the gift of of them asking questions for us, questions that we don't even know exist. And if you happen to identify as a type five, uh, here is Chris continuing on in his encouragement and affirmation to the absolutely incredible and beautiful person that you are. If you're dominant type five, I really try to encourage folks to feel their pain and, and their sadness and, and to honor that with compassion, right? To, to not overthink it, to not sort of tuck it up and into the, the, the top of, of your head and, and try to rationalize it, right? This notion of I don't know what to think about my pain keeps us from really receiving the gift of, of pain and, and really hearing what sadness is trying to tell us or how sadness is trying to help us discern. And, and so if you're dominant type five, be compassionate with yourself and, and bring that compassion to your own pain. In addition, I would, would sort of follow that up with, with also this advice to remember your body, right? When we talk about the Enneagram, we, we start with the intelligent centers, right? The body or the intuition or the instincts, the heart or the feelings and the head or, or, or the thoughts. And type five's repressed intelligent center is actually their body, right? And, and, and so you have to remember your body. You have to get into your body. You have to, to sort of make yourself connect with reality through tangible experiences. If you're, if you're dominant in type five, you already know enough and you know as much as you need to know and, and you're ready. You're ready to activate now in the present. And, and so don't hinder yourself from, from the engaging of, of the world that, that you've thought is possible. It is possible because when you are present and when you are with us and when you show up, it, it's, it's, it's that much better. It's that much more real and, and it's that much more beautiful. And then I, I, I finally um, usually encourage folks who are dominant type five as, as they do their inner work, as they, they give themselves over if they have a a meditation or a contemplation or a mindfulness practice to, to, to actually bring this, this, this posture of consenting to silence in that. The, the consenting to silence for the five is, is really the, the, the saying yes 
to, to laying down this, this addictive tendency to have to ask the questions, to have to get the answers, to have to fill their minds with all the noise of uncertainties, of, of, of unresolved issues, of ununderstood concepts. And man, it's just, it's, it's really consenting to that silence, saying yes to that silence, that actually you're going to have the clearest imagination, the, the most profound mental capacities to sort of be you at your best, to, to bring yourself forward and, and, and to, to live beautifully and, and freely. Chris, thank you so much for the warmth and thoughtfulness that you are bringing to uh, to each of these Enneagram episodes. It, it means the world to me and uh, I'm, I'm deeply moved by your words. So let's go ahead and listen to the song one more time all the way through now that you've heard how this thing got constructed and the intentionality behind it. So if you happen to identify as a type five, my, my deepest hope in writing this song was that you might feel at least a little bit understood uh, as a type that deeply desires to understand all things, I, I just wanted to give a little bit of that gift back to you uh, and to celebrate and, and applaud the, the beautiful and brilliant person that you are.
Gosh, thank you so much, guys. I'm I'm so blown away that you would not only listen to my music, but you would care about how these songs get put together. So thank you. Thank you so much. And um, a massive thanks again to Chris for, for being a guest on this podcast. And uh, the song is available everywhere that songs are. So Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, all those places. Um, I hope that you enjoy this song. And again, if you are a type five, I hope that there's some of your truth in this song uh, with all all of these Enneagram songs, I I just so deeply want to um, make you feel understood and make you feel appreciated and and seen and known. So I, I so hope that um, uh, these these first five songs have done at least a little bit of that for for each of you. And uh, anyway, 
I love you guys. I am so grateful that you listen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, and before we go, uh, Chris was kind enough to give us a little bit of extra Enneagram Type Five time, and um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna let that play out. Um, but I wanted to say uh, again, thank you so so much. So uh, with that, here is Chris. So we're five podcasts in um, around the nine Enneagram types, and I and I thought it would just be fair and honoring of type fives to just get a little Enneagram nerdy or a little Ennea wonky for a second here and, and throw something into the mix that we haven't sort of introduced yet. And that's something that, that in the Enneagram world is called either the subtypes or the instinctual variants. And this is, is really something that um, there's not a lot of work done around. Beatrice Chestnut's uh, book, The Complete Enneagram, is, is, is maybe the, 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 the most crucial text on this. But this is, is something that Claudio Naranjo sort of started to build out. And, and, and really, Beatrice, um, having learned this from Claudio, really took with it and ran. Now, if you understand the instincts or the instinctual variants or the subtypes, there's a little bit of Enneagram controversy around what the, the parlance should be. You know, and this instincts language is, is really that these are the sort of biological triggers in our unconsciousness that, that sort of drive us. Now, the subtypes are, are really, I think, how the biology of these instincts sort of physiologically sort of relate to our projection of personality. And, and what happens then is, is what the, 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 the subtypes teach us is that there's three versions of each of the nine Enneagram types, and that these three versions of each of the nine Enneagram types are actually one more way of, of sort of showing us the complexity and, and the beauty of, of human character structure. Right. And so for for somebody who's dominant type five, the instinctual variants or the subtypes is actually maybe where they're going to get interested in this because it's super wonky. It goes a little bit deeper. It, it makes this a little bit more complicated or complex or, or interesting or, or textured. Right. So the three instincts or the three subtype drives here are self-preservation, sexual, and sometimes the sexual instinct is called one on one or social and when I introduce the instincts, I, I, I usually try to, to introduce them um, sort of in the, the sort of evolution of our own experiences of, of, of relating to ourselves in history. And so I live here in Omaha, Nebraska, and just north of the city is, is the reservation where the, the original Omaha tribe was forced to move to. But, you know, hundreds of years ago when, when the Omaha tribe roamed free and, and, and lived free and, and, and somehow managed to survive these winters, this was them sort of accessing that self-preservation instinct, right? We get 40 degrees, 50 degrees below zero wind chills routinely during our winters. And, you know, hundreds of years ago when the Omaha tribe was out on the plains of, of, of Nebraska surviving those winters, it was because of that ability to self-preserve, that, that conservation, right? So the self-preservation instinct has to do with sort of you taking care of yourself. It has to do with your knowing your, 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 your biological, your, your physical, your mental, your emotional, your spiritual needs, and, 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 and ensuring that they are cared for, right? Well, when the Omaha tribe um, survived the winters, here comes the spring, and, and, and you know, the spring is the mating season for, for all forms of life. Um, well, this is the sexual instinct, and the sexual instinct really has to do with reproduction. It has to do with chemistry. It has to do with, with living in life and, and, and bringing life forward, right? The sexual instinct also has to do with sort of living on the edge and taking risks and, 
And, and you see this. You see this in, in, in this sort of edge that some people have. Now, you know, in the Enneagram world, the sexual instinct, like I said, is sometimes called the one-on-one. And, and there's a little bit of controversy around that because the folks who, who actually lead this conversation with instinctual variants, I think rightly say that all nine of the Enneagram types actually care about intimacy to a certain degree. We, we care about our primary relationships. And, and so this notion of one-on-one has something to do with the sexual instinct, but really the sexual instinct is, is really about sex, right? Well, what happens nine months after mating season is now here are all the offspring. And now the community is larger. And this is where the social instinct shows up because the social instinct is, is really about groups and, and organizing community. And it's about power dynamics. And it's about knowing your place sort of on the team or on the field and, and, and knowing who you are in relationship to, to the to the neighborhood or the organization or the community that you've you've said yes to, right? So the self-preservation, sexual and social instinct or instinctual variant drives us. And in the Enneagram, we, we have a dominant one of these, right? And our dominant one is, is really what leads us. We have a secondary one where we sometimes vacate from the energy of that dominant one. And then we have one that we park in our blind spot. And, and the one that we park in our blind spot really is where we get hung up. It's, it's really where we, we, we find ourselves getting in trouble. Um, and so sometimes you'll hear this, that it's really your blind spot instinct that, that actually is the most powerful one because that's the one you're unaware of. And, and so that's the one that's creating all the chaos in your life. Anyway, when we talk about the instincts and we talk about folks who are dominant in type five, this, this really helps because, you know, this self-preservation dominant five is, is really focusing on their boundaries. And, and so you'll see this if you're dominant type five and, you're, and your dominant instinct is self-pres, boundaries are important to you. And this is why you are often misunderstood as isolated. And this is why we over-identify you socially as detached or withdrawn. But, but boundaries are actually a way of caring for ourselves. And, 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 and boundaries are a way of, of honoring ourselves. Now, if your sexual instinct dominant type five you're really the counter type. And, and there's a counter type in each of the nine Enneagram types. And for the five, that's the sexual the sexual five. The counter type is this, I go against the energy of my passion. And, and so what you see with, with, with sexual fives is that they're actually can be really romantic. They can be really imaginative or creative or artistic. And, and you sometimes mis, mistype these folks as, as fours. But the sexual five is 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 actually in touch with their heart and and really aware of their need for intimacy. This doesn't mean that they 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 still have huge circles of friends. They still may actually be very selective and and calculated about the who. But man, they connect and and they really do find a way of connecting with their heart. And then the social five, right? The the five whose dominant instinct is 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 that social instinct is really concerned. Um, and driven by knowledge. And, and, and again, this is the, the, the social gift of a, a social five that they will share their answers, their solutions, their discoveries, the things that they, they theorize and analyze and, and suss out. And, and so this, this little extra layer, right? The self-preservation five focusing on boundaries, the, the, the sexual five, which is the counter type, which really focuses on connection, or, or the social five, which really focuses on knowledge, sort of gives us a, another way of looking at the Enneagram as, as a color wheel of human character structure. That we're not stuck in these buckets, that we're not over-identified with, with this, this metaphor of type, 
but but that there is something dynamic and interesting and, and, and still mysterious even about what we learn from from this teaching. Totally amazing. Thank you so much, Chris. All right, everybody. Thank you very much again for listening. Uh, let's let's speak real soon.